What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 66 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find all my work over at 2QBs.com. On the line with me is first time on the show, Bobby Sylvester, Fantasy Pros, at Bobby Fantasy Pro on Twitter. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, Greg. I, I really appreciate you having me on. And I want to say, first of all, that I am fully on team two quarterbacks. I think every league commissioner site should, by default, have two quarterbacks. And anyone who disagrees with me should be forced to Browns fandom. <laughs> I like it, man. Well, I, uh, I've i been on your podcast a couple of times, and so it's long overdue uh, that I had you on here. I had uh, your, your co-host, Mike Tagliere, on earlier in the season. But um, I wanted to congratulate you guys out of the gate on your nomination for uh, FSTA's podcast of the year, man. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. I appreciate it. It probably mostly has to do with how handsome Tags is um, <laughs> because, you know, he's just carrying me on his back. So, well, no, you guys do great work. I love going on that show. And um, it's <laughs> you guys grind it out, too. You do a lot more shows than I do. And I, I, I respect that, that. I know how much work goes into that. So to see you guys get some recognition is, is pretty sweet. I, I hope you guys win that one. Good luck in that. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it. Well, hey, um, let's jump into our Week 14 recap. We're going to be looking at kind of news across the NFL, focusing on two quarterback leagues. And we got to start with the biggest news of all. That's Carson Wentz tearing his ACL. Nick Foles came in in relief. Uh, short stint, 6 of 10 for 42 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. But he's going to be the starter for Philly going forward. Average weekly finish of QB 17.6 in the games that he started between 2012 and 2016. Uh, but most of his stats, like from that span, are really buoyed by an insane, like outlier 2015 season. No, 2013 season. Uh, if you kind of strip out that season and you look at just what he's done from 2014 to 2016 as a a backup, 11.6 fantasy points per game, an average weekly finish of QB 20.5. Only about 24% of his weeks have been top 10 weeks, so under a quarter of his games. Under 50% of his games have resulted in top 20 finishes. There's a lot to be desired dropping from Carson Wentz to Nick Foles. But do you think, I mean, based upon the fact that Foles, when he was struggling over the past couple of years, for the most part was doing it on bad teams. So with that in mind, do you think that this 2016 Philadelphia Eagles roster can elevate Foles kind of back into that startable QB status in these final weeks of the season? Can he be like a, a QB2 type moving forward? For the rest of the season rankings, I moved Nick Foles up to 23, QB number 23. And that may be a little bit conservative because, I mean, you think about it this way, right? He had that incredible season with Chip Kelly, but he was so bad with Jeff Fisher because every quarterback is so bad with Jeff Fisher. I feel like if you have, if you take that out, you kind of have to take the Jeff Fisher part out as well. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at Carson Wentz. He's having this amazing season, right? Well, he was. Uh, he was probably going to be the MVP. At least I, was, I think he was the front runner. Um, but if you look at Nick Foles' stats when he was with Chip Kelly, I think that season might have actually been better than what Carson Wentz was doing here. And I'm wondering if the Carson Wentz breakout is a product of him actually being a legitimate superstar or if he was just performing within a strong offensive scheme. I mean, we've seen random quarterbacks have great seasons uh, before because of the latter, like Nick Foles four years ago, as you mentioned. So if this is indeed Doug Peterson and his friends building great offense, then I think Nick Foles actually has top 12 quarterback upside. If not, I mean, I think he's competent enough, especially with all the injuries right now, that he can be a top 24 guy rest of the season. I mean, especially you look at his matchups coming up. He's got the Giants and the Raiders. Yep, those are two cake matchups, and that's what I was going to point out if you didn't. The, the schedule for these fat, these last two weeks is really nice. 
I, I think that there is reason for optimism moving forward. The the supporting cast is good. Uh, I think on top of all the offensive pieces, like you talked about in the scheme that Doug Peterson has put in place, their defense is good too, which which puts the team in good game script. And altogether, this is a really nice situation for Nick Foles, which is completely the opposite of those Jeff Fisher-era uh, Rams teams that he was on. I mean, look at what Case Keenum has done since he got out, out from under Jeff Fisher. Look at what Jared Goff has done this season. You know, scheme matters, uh, coaching matters, and this is a, a nice opportunity for Foles to move forward and kind of maybe not be the QB1 that Carson Wentz was, but I, I do think he has that top 15 ability, especially given these matchups. Well, let's talk about another couple QB situations around the league. We don't have to spend quite as much time on these because the the, the appeal isn't quite as high with these guys, but Tom Savage suffered a, a pretty scary-looking concussion uh, in his game against the Niners. TJ Yates performed really well off the bench, um, not to take any away from anything away from Tom Savage's health. Like that's definitely a concern and, you know, best wishes to him and his family that, that he recovers well from that. But TJ Yates looked pretty good. You might even say he looked better than Savage to be quite honest. And more importantly, what we saw Yates do was maintain Houston's all DeAndre Hopkins all the time sort of offense, right? Uh, Yates <laughs> threw for 175 yards, two TDs. Both of them went to Hopkins. Hopkins went crazy in general. Would you rather own, I, I'm assuming I know the answer to this, but would you rather own Yates or Foles for the rest of the season? I'd rather own Foles for the rest of the season. I mean, Yates, like you said, and he looked better than Savage only because he was willing to throw the ball to Hopkins more. And that's really what it comes down to. But I think Will Fuller's getting healthy now. And that puts Yates, I'd say, in the top 27, 28 quarterbacks. So if you're playing in a deeper two-quarterback league, you can consider starting him. Um, but I think he's outside for each of the next two weeks, assuming that he is the starter and Savage is shut down for now because that, that just looked terrible. But, um, you know, he has DeAndre Hopkins, so uh, I don't know. He's, he still has to be a bottom three or four quarterback the rest of the way, right? Yeah, especially because if you're still alive at this point in the season, you probably have at least a plan at quarterback, right? You may not have the best QBs, but you probably have serviceable ones. So unless, like you said, your format is super deep or, you know, the quarterback waiver wire is super competitive to the point where maybe you had Tom Savage as one of your starters, you know, I but I, I don't know. I, I think most teams who are starting Tom Savage probably weren't in the sort of position where they were going to be in the playoffs at this point anyway. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about another similar situation. That's with the New York Jets. Uh, Josh McCown broke his non-throwing hand in week 14. He's going to be out for the rest of the year, and Bryce Petty's the next man up. This has to kill the value of at least some of the Jets receivers going forward, I think. So who do you think takes the biggest hit, Bobby? Uh, do you think it's Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Curse, or maybe the tight end, Austin Safarian Jenkins? I think it's Rob Anderson because Josh McCann has no problem shooting the ball downfield, and that's where Robbie Anderson makes his money. So I just can't really see Nick Petty feeding Anderson the way that he needs to be fed to maintain being what top 15 wide receiver that he is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't see it either. I mean, ultimately, all these guys are going to be big downgrades, though, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, well, you know, Josh McCown, he wasn't exactly a nobody before uh, he came into the season, but nobody thought he was going to be in the neighborhood of a top 15 quarterback. And Bowles has done an incredible job with the Jets. And, I mean, imagine if they had Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, Quincy, and Nunwa. He's done it with absolute nobody. So I'd like to think that Petty, as bad as he's looked in limited opportunities, will at least be competitive. I'd, I'd rather have him, I'll, I'll say this, I'd rather have him than Yates. Okay, see, I'd go the other way if only because of DeAndre Hopkins. I, I, I agree that the scheme there with with Bulls it has been pretty good. And um, one of the writers on our site, Derek Klassen, has sent a couple of nice uh, kind of write-ups of that offense and how it works. And I learned a lot you know, about the Jets' 
offense from those articles. But at the same time, it's Bryce Petty, man. Like <laughs> I just I think about how how much that organization probably doesn't want Josh McCown to be starting at this point in the season, but because they didn't have better options, because it was Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg behind McCown on the depth chart, they never felt the need to move on from McCown. And this is a situation where they were really forced into Petty, right? Whereas, at least with, with Yates, like, they were already forced into Tom Savage. Like, I don't think that Yates is that much of a downgrade from what Savage was doing. I do think that Petty is a significant downgrade from Josh McCown, and that's what has me worried more than anything else. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. I just think it's a little telling that Yates didn't have a job until, what, five weeks ago? And uh, Petty was sitting there. They're trying to develop him. He's been in this offense the entire year, knowing the playbook. Bowles has been working with him. He's got a veteran, Josh McCown, ahead of him. And, uh, you know, I'm just interested to see if he if he has improved. I would imagine you would improve in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I would hope so, too. And I think we're, we're kind of... We're we're arguing over nothing here to the point where like like we said like neither of these guys are guys it's we want to start we're we're scraping the bottom of the barrel but I mean that's what you do in these two quarterback formats and that's that's why I find it so interesting is because we get to talk about these guys like who in a one quarterback league is even sniffing Bryce Petty or uh, or T J Yates it's a joke in a one quarterback I mean who's more interesting to you Bryce Petty or Bilal Powell or Elijah McGuire like why is it that these leagues you've got Four running backs you can start in some of them, and you only get to start 12 quarterbacks overall in an entire league. It just drives me nuts. That's not football. Yeah, man, you're preaching to the choir here. Uh, Let's keep going. Let's get to the Bengals. And this isn't something that we have a great handle on uh, moving forward. As far as I know, maybe some news is broken since I, I last wrote up these show notes, but... Andy Dalton got benched for A.J. McCarron in Week 14, and McCarron didn't really do anything in relief. He only completed half of his eight passes for 47 yards. I, I really don't get what the appeal of, of A.J. McCarron is. Like, all, all the story about, like, Hugh Jackson wanting to get him to the Browns, that failed trade they had. I mean, McCarron has four starts to his name from 2015. In those starts, he averaged a little over 13.5 fantasy points per game. His best game that season by far was the first start after taking over for an injured Dalton. He scored about 16 points against the Steelers, finishes the QB 16 that week. Uh, Across all four of his starts that year, McCown's average weekly finish was QB 19.8, so he was about the 20th best quarterback week to week. And when he played for Alabama in college, his offensive line was insane. Like, those teams were insane. Like, I, I just feel like he's grossly overrated and... I just don't think we can trust him as fantasy owners, even if he does get the start, uh, you know, in Dalton's stead. Because you know, you talk about how he performed in college and how he performed that year with the Bengals. Like previously, the Bengals' offensive line is not what it used to be. I just I don't see AJ McCarron being any sort of upgrade over Dalton. But but what do you think, Bob? Well, you know, Alabama also had some real nice receivers as well, and they, they do in Cincinnati too. But like you said, the Bengals' offensive line used to be top seven, eight in football. Now they're bottom seven or eight in football. So uh, I agree. I think McCarron is vastly overrated. Like you look at the Hugh Jackson thing and it makes you think like, are they actually trying to lose? As someone who was a Rams fan, I'm from St. Louis. So I was, believe it or not, a Rams fan. I was convinced that they hired Jeff Fisher just so they could lose. So people wouldn't show up so they could move to Los Angeles. Call me a conspiracy theorist, whatever you want. I think the Browns are doing the same thing so they can get a bunch of good picks, then hire a real coach. Um, it's just I, I can't understand what they're doing trying to get McCarron. And, you know, I think the Bengals are just trying to showcase him because I can't understand this any other way. Has Andy Dalton really deserved this? I mean, maybe we can get the Bengals to trade him to the Bills for Tyrod Taylor, and everyone can be happy now that they have a legitimate top 20 quarterback, and it's not 
the guy that they, for whatever reason, hate. I mean, he's been a top 21 quarterback nine times this season, top 13 six times this season. Why would the coaching staff be surprised that he was less than mediocre against a strong secondary that the Bears have? I mean, they couldn't have possibly thought that McCarron was actually better, right? No, I, I don't think so. And I, I'm with you. I think that they're trying to show him off. And that's what has me worried here is that because they know that the Browns want him, they're going to try to drive up McCarron's trade value, which means they're probably going to play him more in these final weeks. The Bengals aren't in playoff contention. Their, their season's over effectively. So why not run this guy out there, try to prop up his value to some extent? And if, I, if I'm an Andy Dalton owner, like if I'm one of those owners who you know got to this point in the season by riding those kind of mid-level QBs like Dalton and he's my guy – I think he even has a really nice matchup for one of these final two playoff weeks. I can't remember which it is, but I would I am very worried uh, if I'm a Dalton owner about him losing that job for no other reason than the Bengals wanting to show off AJ McCarron. And even if McCarron doesn't get starts, if they you know bring him in in the middle of games like they did this past week, like that's a problem too because that's just limiting your, the opportunity for for playing time for Dalton. And you're not going to know about it ahead of time, which could be really, really frustrating for fantasy. Yeah, I've got Dalton number 20 going into the week. And now I'm thinking about it. Like, if they name Dalton a starter, I still think I've got to move him down to, like, 24, 25. He's on the border of not being startable just because of the risk of him losing his job in the middle of the game again. Well, right. And in week 15, he's going at Minnesota. That's not a matchup you want any piece of. It's the week 16 matchup that I liked. I just looked this up. He's playing Detroit there, and I think Detroit's defense is grossly overrated. Um, that, that's a spot where I would want to use Dalton, but he might not be starting by then. So we got to keep an eye on this, uh, monitor that going forward. And, you know, if you are still alive and maybe a little desperate for, for a QB, you might want to put a feeler out there or throw a claim at A.J. McCarron. We, we talked a lot about Yates versus Petty. Where does McCarron fall in that pecking order for you, Bobby? You know, because of what I think they're doing, because I think they're showing him off, I think they're going to give him more opportunities to go out there and throw the ball. They're going to set up special plays to get guys open. They're going to make him look good, right? And so I actually have McCarron above both of them. He also has A.J. Green on his team, too. Like I know DeAndre Hopkins is really something special, but I think A.J. Green is probably the single most talented receiver in the world. I, he's not the best fantasy receiver or anything like that. I mean, he's he's no Antonio Brown because Antonio Brown is so smart. He's got a great work work ethic. He works so well with Big Ben. But in terms of pure talent, I mean, you put A.J. Green in that situation, I think he's just as good, better than Antonio Brown. I think he's a freak of nature. So McCarron being able to throw the ball up to him and Brandon LaFell is getting a lot of targets. He looks at least decent lately. Um, you know, I think that, that situation is not bad for him to fall into. Yeah, I don't know if I could take McCarron over those other two guys just because we know Yates and Petty are starting. But like I said, if you're looking to maybe handcuff Dalton or just take one, you know, real low risk stab on a, uh, you know, a waiver wire flyer QB, um, maybe the other guys get scooped up before you on waivers. Uh, McCarron's not a bad guy to target, if only because he might get some some run here in the last couple weeks. Let's move away from quarterback. Let's talk about. I got we got to talk about this blizzard game between Indianapolis and Buffalo. Super fun to watch, but I don't think we can apply much fantasy analysis to these players or these teams outside of the context of the weather, right? Like what they did on that in that game was specific to the situation they were in, but I want to like kind of take what happened in that game and try to apply it to potential snow games in the future. Maybe next week, maybe week 16 or week 17, maybe in the playoffs if you're playing, you know, playoff DFS. If we see another game like this where there's a lot of snow, really nasty conditions, what can this game between Indianapolis and Buffalo 
tell us about that sort of matchup from a fantasy perspective. Like, are there any angles that we can exploit uh, week to week for things like DFS or other matchups? I mean, we saw Frank Gore get, what, 37 carries? Mm-hmm. And LaShawn McGoy, McCoy, I think he got over 30 as well. I think it's pretty clear what these teams want to do in the snow. And I don't even know if it's fair to call this a snow game because most snow games, it's like snowing a little bit. The visibility's gone or the visibility's not as good. It might be a little bit windy and the footing's not ideal. I mean, this was pure whiteout. You can't see anything. You can't even tell if you're lining up in the right spot. You can hardly tell who's your teammate. So I think there's a bigger difference between what happened in Buffalo than, you know, in other snow games than there is between a normal snow game and just a normal weather week. So I don't think we'll see that kind of weather again. If we do, there's no way you can start even Aaron Rodgers. I'm convinced that even Aaron Rodgers going out there, whatever kind of, you know, weather situation that was, I don't think he would produce 10 fantasy points. Yeah, I mean, it was especially funny because the Colts were wearing their all-white jerseys. Like, wasn't that ridiculous, too? I remember seeing the photos, like, as the game was from warm-ups and stuff, and just seeing, uh, I think Buffalo was in their color rush jerseys, and Indy was out there in all-white. And somehow, you know, hey, man, Buffalo got it done, so kudos to them. But I'm with you. Uh, Running backs go way up in value. Defenses go up in value. I think there might be something to be said about rushing QBs. Like, we saw Jacoby Brissett turn in, like, a a fairly decent performance considering how bad the conditions were. I think he was outside the top 24 quarterbacks, but, you know, any sort of production in that scenario was was impressive to me, at least. Uh, Receivers, especially guys who are going to, you know, do the most of their work downfield, they have to go down in value. Kickers go down in value. Maybe some low A dot type receivers, uh, low average step to target receivers. I should clarify that. You know, tight ends, uh, running backs out of the backfield, slot wide receivers. Th- those guys might be more usable, but I don't necessarily. I think in general that those sorts of conditions have to be valued down for basically everyone except for the defenses running backs. I-, I think the bigger receivers have a pretty substantial advantage as well. I mean, if you've ever played football in the snow, going from a run into a jump. It's absolutely impossible. It really is. Whoever's the tallest guy is going to come down with the dump ball. We saw Calvin Benjamin (laughs) grab himself a touchdown right, and he's got the biggest body out there. It's just, you know, the speed, the agility, you lose all of those advantages in the snow, and all it comes down to is size and will. That's Yeah, that's a really good point. That Benjamin touchdown is a really good illustration of that. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, You got got anything else non-quarterback related for Week 14 before we get to our awards for the week? No, I don't. I'm ready for the awards, baby. All right. QB boom of the week. Which quarterback outperformed your expectations the most in week 14? If the question is who outperformed my expectations the most, I think this guy every single week is Jared Goff. After watching him be so miserably bad last year, I'm amazed each and every week that it's actually the same guy. Like maybe it's like the movie Heaven Can Wait and Y.A. Tittle, who was he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He just died earlier this year. Maybe he took over Jared Goff's body. Uh, but really, the boom quarterback of the week, I think it has to be Trubisky. I mean, he looked like an actual franchise cornerstone. Finally, the Bears let him loose, and he got it done with Kendall Wright and Inman. I can't wait to see what he can do once he actually gets an actual wide receiver three on this roster. I was impressed by him. I thought he was looking like a bust at this point. Like, why are they not using him? Maybe he's just not very good. Um, but after this week, I'm convinced he can stay in this league. Yeah, I, I think the talent is definitely there, and we see that when they let him actually play, which is which is it's insane how much John Fox is just screwing up that kid's development as as we speak. You know, I'm sure even today in practice, like he wasn't getting you know the right kind of reps and whatnot. I'm just convinced that John Fox is 
just has no idea how to run a modern NFL franchise, but uh, I'll, I'll save that crusade for later, I guess. He finishes the QB 16, <laughs> uh, 21 plus fantasy points, but I, those numbers were a little inflated because he had a rushing touchdown. I, what, what do you think about that? Does that impact your analysis of him, or is that something that you think that maybe he can duplicate going forward if he continues to get the opportunity? Yeah, I think that's who he is. I think when he opens up the passing game, that he's going to be able to run the ball more. I mean, he's a bigger guy, but he's pretty quick, too. He makes good decisions. We saw it in college. I think he can pick up 20, 30 rushing yards per game like we saw Andrew Luck do, like we see Aaron Rodgers do. But it all depends on him. I mean, if they're stacking the box, obviously he's not going to be able to do it. But if he's finally throwing 30, 35 passes in a game, yeah, I think that's who he is, kind of like Blake Portals. Yeah, fair enough. Um, my boom of the week is another mobile quarterback, Brett Hundley of the Packers. He was at Cleveland, posted a QB4 finish. All these numbers are, are you know, pre-Monday Night Football. We don't know what's going to go on with Brady and Cutler necessarily yet. Um, to over 25 fantasy points in this game for Hundley. And the Green Bay coaches really let Hundley throw it. He, he slung it 46 times on Sunday, which makes sense against Cleveland, but it kind of flies in the face of his previous usage. Like, if you look at the, the games that Hundley played before this, and the Packers didn't really let him throw all that much. His previous high for attempts was Week 9 against Detroit, uh, 38 pass attempts. I, I was surprised that they let him sling it that much in this Week 14 matchup, but I guess I should have just believed in the matchup against the Browns because it's much easier to, to pass against them than it is to, to run. And so it's nice that Mike McCarthy embraced that. Um, and semi-related, I do think it's worth noting that Jordy Nelson continues to do basically nothing with Hundley under center. I, I do think if someone dropped Jordy Nelson in your league, it might be worth trying to scoop him up on the chance that Aaron Rodgers can return in these next two weeks. But even still, I, I would have a hard time trusting him going forward if uh, you know if Hundley continues to start. What, what do you think about what you're seeing from Jordy Nelson, Bobby? You know, it's just ugly. It just shows you how much it matters to have a good relationship with your quarterback. Like him and Aaron Rodgers just had it going on. Jordy Nelson was a top five wide receiver before Aaron Rodgers got hurt, and he's nothing. He's not ownable. I mean, he's ownable now because Aaron Rodgers is coming back, and if he's available, I mean, you spend everything you can to get him back. I guess we can't say Aaron Rodgers is coming back, right? We'll we'll know more uh, on Tuesday, maybe by the time this podcast comes out. But, um, you know, Brent Hundley, a lot of people are saying, you know, this guy's absolutely garbage. Look at who he's played. It's not been easy. Mm -hmm. The Saints, the Lions, the Bears, the Ravens, the Steelers. I'm not too surprised that when he got 46 pass attempts, he was actually fairly good. Yeah, no, he's been pretty impressive when he's had the right situations. And that that's what he is going for. I think he's a matchups play. Uh, another guy who I, you know, certain people have wanted to see be a matchups player, expected to be a matchups play week to week is Joe Flacco. And to this point in the season, he's been very, very disappointing. I mean, he's just not very good or hasn't been very good to date, but he Kind of for for him, he blew up at Pittsburgh uh, on Sunday night. QB 13, uh, almost 17 fantasy points. But I do think his performance felt kind of game script related. Pittsburgh went up 14-0 pretty quickly. And even after that point, it was pretty clear that the Ravens wanted to attack the Steelers on the ground with Alex Collins and Buck Allen. So I think the question we have to ask ourselves moving forward is, with Jimmy Smith suspended, is this Ravens defense so much worse that we can expect more negative game scripts for Flacco moving forward in these final two weeks? Like, do you think Flacco's value goes up because their defense got a little worse? Uh, if it was a different matchup, I would say yes, but I cannot see them being down two touchdowns to Cleveland or Indianapolis. So I think the game scripts are actually going to be the opposite over the next two weeks. With that said, the matchups are so good. 
I have Joe Flacco ranked in my top 14 this week. Yeah, and I think that's fine. If you expect that kind of like mid-tier QB2 performance against these bad defenses, that makes sense to me. But looking at this game and saying, oh, he did it against Pittsburgh, he's going to be great against these really bad defenses, I don't necessarily see it. Because when I look at what they do on the field, they really just want to hammer people with those running backs. Even... Uh, half of Joe Flacco's, you know, passing yards are, are on little dump offs to these guys too. I mean, I'm exaggerating when I say half, but you know, th- this is a team that wants to work in that short yardage. They want to grind out games and win with their defense, even though they just lost Jimmy Smith. So I, I think that's something to keep an eye on going forward. Maybe Flacco can be a little bit more respectable and finally start to deliver on, you know, some of the promise we might have thought he had earlier in the year in these final two matchups. But I think you probably have someone better. I mean, if you had Joe Flacco on your roster. To get to this point in the year, like kudos to you. I, you. The rest of your roster must have been completely insane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, Joe Flacco's playing with a lot more confidence lately. Mm-hmm. He asked the offensive coordinator to open things up, saying, we can't win unless we open up this offense, and they have. Mike Wallace has been playing a lot better football as well, and Alex Collins running the ball so well. I mean, that's got to – any quarterback has to love that. I think Alex Collins next year is a top, you know, three-round pick in, uh, in standard leagues because he's just – He's so good. I, I can't believe how good this guy is. Yeah, I bet the Seahawks miss him, don't you? I mean, I can't believe they let that guy go. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, he has looked better. And to be fair, he was injured entering the season, so we don't know how much that played into his early season performance. I think getting Brashad Perriman the hell out of there and, and getting Chris Moore some more run, Michael Campanaro some more run, like th- they've been feeling out their offense all season. And maybe it's just starting to click now. Maybe it just took a long time. I mean, that's not necessarily what you want to see from your team, like if you root for the Ravens. But, hey, man, they're still in the, the thick of the, the hunt, or maybe not after that loss. I'd have to look at the playoff picture again. Do you know if they're still alive for the playoffs? They're still alive because the AFC is so bad right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they've got a real chance. Um, You know, even the Bills are still alive in the AFC playoff picture, which is just crazy. Um, But you know what you said about the injury with Joe Flacco, starting with it early in the season? You look at these basketball players, they have a back injury. And three years later, they're still dealing with that back injury. It just, it really never goes away. And when you're in a full contact sport like football, I can't imagine Joe, Joe Flacco's back feels better than it felt at the start of the season, right? If he was struggling at the start of the season because of back, just how much more is it weighing on him now? Uh, and I think if he was healthy, he'd be who he was, like a top 15 quarterback most weeks. But, I think for the rest of his career, he'll probably be dealing with his back injury. That's an interesting point. I want, I want to actually pivot to something kind of along those lines. Do you, how do you think that might be affecting Derek Carr? Do you think that might have some impact on his kind of lackluster performance so far this season, that um, what a transverse process fracture, whatever the hell they called it? There was some strange name for the back injury that he suffered. You know, well, it doesn't help that Amari Cooper has taken a huge step backward for whatever reason. I mean, he's one of the most talented players in the National Football League, and he is still very young. So I guess it it might be a focus thing or, or whatever is going on. But you remember Derek Carr started the season with a leg injury. Um, everyone knew he was due for negative regression as well based on his touchdown rates and everything like that. So I'm not too surprised that he's taken a step backward this much. But, you know, that back injury he sustained in the middle of the season – I would imagine it's still bothering him, right? And and maybe the leg injury as well. I mean, this guy's playing banged up just like everybody else. But, you know, a quarterback who sustained two, I won't say major injuries, but substantial injuries, that's got to be difficult. Yeah, and it's hard to know because, I mean, we're not these players and we're not the medical staff or the coaching staff. We don't really know exactly what leads to these guys maybe underperforming or even overperforming expectations week to week. And we kind of have to read the tea leaves 
to figure this stuff out. But I, I think these are the types of things that you can keep in mind. It's it's hard to know how much weight to assign to these different factors, but the fact of the matter is is that you see Derek Carr play and he doesn't look like the same guy as he did last season, whether that's based on schedule or uh, injury or whatever. The the point is is that Derek Carr is not as good this year as he was last year, and we need to account for that in our rankings and our week-to-week projections and and evaluations. So um, speaking of Derek Carr, let's get to our uh, other award, our negative award, the QB bust of the week. And this is the, the QB who underperformed our expectations the most in Week 14. I'd imagine that Derek Carr at Kansas City is is a candidate for that, but there are a lot of other good choices here. Um, Who was the bust for you, Bobby? I did consider Carr, but really as soon as I thought about it, one name came to mind so much more than everybody else, and it's Alex Smith. He was so frustrating to me. I mean, here I am sticking up for the guy because he has one bad week in like a hurricane. Then everyone says, see, he, he does actually suck. Meanwhile, it was his only performance all year under 14 fantasy points. I mean, that's fewer busts than Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. So, of course, I ranked Alex Smith number two last week, knowing he would post 18 to 24 points against the helpless Raiders. And what do you know? Total bust. Yeah, I mean, it's not all his fault either, though, because Kelsey dropped a couple touchdown passes. Uh, It's Yeah, he was on my list, and, and he definitely, compared to where I ranked him, was a huge disappointment. He finished... Uh, Sunday is the QB 20, so after tonight's game, he might be as low as QB 22. That's still borderline startable. Now, not what you want to see in the first round of the playoffs by any means, but that might not have killed you. For me, the bust of the week is Marcus Mariota. At Arizona, finishes the QB 29 with under four fantasy points. This is the worst quarterback performance against Arizona all season. The Cardinals had allowed eight straight top 20 finishes, but Mariota was the QB 29. Uh, I, I don't know, man. The previous worst... Worst finishes against them uh, were Jacoby Brissett back in Week 2 and Brian Hoyer in Week 4. That's pretty bad company for Mariota to be to be in now. Um, I saw a tweet from Marcus uh, Mosher, Marcus Mosher. I wish I knew how to pronounce his, his name, but it's at Marcus underscore Mosher on Twitter. Uh, he had this tweet that was comparing stats from Mariota and Brett Hundley over their past six games. And Hundley's were clearly better. I mean, you talked about having optimism for Hundley before, and Hundley's been doing it on a tougher schedule, like you said, whereas Mariota's had some really nice matchups and just cannot seem to deliver in you know when, in these spots when you really want him to. So he, he was the bust for me. Um, what did you think about this performance from the Titans uh, at Arizona? It's amazing. The Titans have 20 sacks in the last three games, and they can't win. They're losing the division to the Jags because Marcus Mariota – He's just been terrible. I mean, you you could read this coming a little bit at the end of last season. He was so bad for the final three or four games, right? I mean, he had that awesome stretch where he was the best fantasy quarterback in football for eight weeks. And you look at every single one of those matchups, and there were cake. It was great weather conditions, great game scripts, great matchups and everything. And everyone's so excited about Marcus Mariota, and he's really just – You know, he's a mediocre quarterback. I just don't think he's that good. There's something wrong with him right now. I'll tell you what. In my most important league, I had Aaron Rodgers get hurt, and I've been riding Marcus Mariota. And, uh, you know, I have a playoff bye, so fortunately I didn't have to use Mariota last week or I would be pulling my hair out right now, but I've got to drop him. Like, I don't care if I have to pick up Trevor Simeon. I've got to drop Mariota. Yeah, it's it's really wild because his next matchup looks really good, too. He's going on the road against San Francisco. I haven't done my rankings for the week yet, but it sounds like you've got a pretty good idea, at least of a starting point for Week 15. Where do you have Mariota ranked uh, for that matchup against the Niners? I've got him number 24 right now, and uh, that may be a little bit too conservative, but he's just been so bad. I, I know he's got the floor with his rushing yards and everything, but 
I don't know what's going on with him. I don't feel comfortable starting him. I mean, I guess he really is better than starting any number of guys, Bryce Petty, all these, all these random guys, but I would not be happy about it. Yeah, I, I'll definitely have him higher than QB24. He'll probably be inside my top 15 based on the matchup alone. And and one thing I did find earlier today, you might find this interesting, San Francisco's actually allowed the most rushing attempts to quarterbacks. That's probably has more to do with you know, uh, you know who they face than anything, but they've allowed a lot of rushing TDs to, to quarterbacks as well, four of them on the season, which is the second most of any team. But strangely enough, the Cardinals have allowed more than anybody at five, and Mariota just did nothing against them. So maybe I'm reading too much into this uh, for, for no reason. But, uh, yeah, Mariota, what, what a disappointment, man. He had some really high expectations. That's a really good call. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But he's he has looked so bad, it's so hard to trust him, even in the good matchup. We'll, I mean, I'm fascinated to see how it plays out for him because, you know, if he can put something together down the stretch here, maybe he can build up that buzz again for next season. But, you know, it's funny in fantasy, like a guy like that will burn enough fantasy owners to the point where next year it, it'll be interesting to see where he ranks for people in their in their draft rankings. I'm curious about that. It's hilarious. You know, I remember all these people making their bold predictions and like everybody was saying, Marcus Mariota, he's going to be the MVP this year. <laughs> and I'm like, Marcus Mariota, I, I wouldn't draft him, period, in a, in a standard quarterback league, right? Yeah, I mean, and it's hard to know. I mean, we can't talk now about what's going to happen next season because they have a whole offseason to make moves. Like, we don't know if, I mean, maybe Mike Malarkey is out there. Maybe they find a new coach. And I, I talked about that last week with Scott Pianowski on the show that this seems like a situation where a lot of the blame does fall on the organization, like the coaching staff and, and the front office, as opposed to just landing all on Mariota's shoulders. Because the way they approach the game, it's not quite as bad as John Fox, but the way they've stuck with DeMarco Murray, I, I mean, I talked about this all this last week, so we don't need to get back into it. Needless to say, I don't like how that team has been coached, but we'll see how it plays out over these final few me- weeks. Maybe they'll put something together. Who knows? Um, yeah. The only other thing I wanted to note from week 14, and this is just kind of a random observation, is that it seems like Wayne Gallman, we're, we're on running backs now, by the way, Wayne Gallman has appeared to move ahead of Orleans Darkwell on the Giants running back depth chart. And more importantly, he had nine targets uh, in week 14 compared to only four for Shane Vereen, and I think two or three for Darkwa. Um, more more yards, uh, more targets than Darkwa. Is Gallman a guy who you might be trying to sneak into some lineups here uh, at the end of the year? I love Wayne Gallman. I talked about it before the draft started, and you look at him, he's not the biggest guy, he's not the fastest guy, the strongest guy, but he has great instincts that you can't teach. He hits the holes at the right time, at the right speed. He follows his blockers. Uh, he makes strong cuts. Uh, he just runs with a will that doesn't come with many running backs. I've been waiting for him to get a number 19 touches last week. The job is his. I mean, he's going to get at least 15 touches this week. You can start him in any league as far as I'm concerned because he is a good running back. He's, he's better than Darqua, and Darqua has been startable. Yeah, the thing that interests me are those targets. If, if he can be the type of running back who is involved not only in the running game but also in the passing game, I, I just love – when teams do that, like you see this stuff with the elite guys, you know, the David Johnsons, the Le'Veon Bell types, because those guys are awesome and they can catch the ball, but it really does unlock a part of your offense too. When you have these versatile backs, you see new England do this with both Rex Burkett and Deion Lewis. Uh, if you have a player in the backfield who can run and catch the ball, you have the opportunity to create mismatches all over the field, not only with that running back, but with your receivers. It just puts the defense on, it just puts more stress on the defense having to defend you. And 
it would be cool to see the Giants embrace that and kind of stick with one running back more than the other. Because the the Dark One Vereen show, it's like whichever guy's in the backfield, you kind of know it's coming. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I'm really hoping that the Giants don't give Gallman a bunch of carries because I want to draft him in the 8th, ninth, 10th round next year in fantasy drafts and just watch him explode because he's going to get an opportunity next year. I mean, this is the end of Dark War, right? But if he goes nuts at the end of the season, there's going to be a lot of hype. He's going to be drafted in the 5th round, and that's probably about what he's going to produce. Yeah, you're assuming that the Giants don't draft Saquon Barkley early in the draft, though, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> I, you know, I honestly think that the Browns are going to stick with Kaiser and draft Barkley number one overall. I mean, we, we've seen what's happened with Zeke and Leonard Ford. And I've got to tell you, as a Jags fan, by the way, when when the Rams ditched us for uh, for Los Angeles, I had to pick a team. So I picked another team. I tortured myself with a horrible quarterback. And I was hoping that, you know, they would get good and I could follow them and, you know, watch them get better. So it's been a blast watching the Jags. But I was so mad when they drafted Fournette early. But you know what? It's completely changed the ball game here. And I think that the Browns are going to notice what's happening there and that Kaiser's been playing better football lately now that he has actual wide receivers. So I think Barkley's going to the Browns. Yeah, I don't think I see that happening, if only because they have taken such a hard line on this analytics approach. And I really find it hard to believe that any, you know, mathematical analysis of draft value would have them taking a running back number one overall, especially when they are quarterback needy. Yeah. Um, but you never know. I mean, the, the draft seems to get crazier and crazier every year. But before we get to the NFL draft, we still have a few weeks left of the season. we got to look forward to week 15. And just a heads up to the listeners, there are two games on Saturday this weekend, Bears at Lions and Chargers at Chiefs. So when you're setting your lineups, maybe uh, put an alarm on the old smartphone to, to wake you up in time to uh, get your lineup set for those two games on Saturday. But let's get into quarterback streamers. And, Bobby, we're looking for a low-end QB2 or a QB3 type who an owner wouldn't normally start, but this week, either based upon matchup or some other factors, you're more interested in. So who's the streamer of the week to you? You know, I actually already mentioned him. I let it slip earlier. Believe it or not, I'm actually okay with people streaming Trevor Simeon this week against the Colts. I mean, not only was their secondary terrible to begin with, but the injuries have really stacked up this year for them. I mean, I, if Tim Tebow signed with the Browns tomorrow, I would start him this weekend against the Colts. I mean, after playing two years away from football, the Colts secondary is so ugly right now. And Simeon was actually all right last week. I mean, we know he has decent weapons. The Broncos have trusted him now with 72 passes in the last two weeks. So I think you could definitely do worse. Yeah, he was on my short list of guys, 17 point two four points per game allowed by the Colts to quarterbacks average weekly finish against the Colts is QB 13 so on average you're getting a top 15 week from whoever you start against them they rank number 29 and pass defense DVOA it's really a great matchup so that's a nice call and you know what they get Washington the following week and Washington gives up a lot of passing production as well so he might be a guy that you could roll with for two weeks in a row um, if if he's on your roster the guy for me is is going to be Nick Foles against the Giants uh, the Giants allow the most fantasy points per game in the league to quarterbacks, about 19.5 points per game. Average weekly finish against them is QB 11.2. They rank number 23 in past defense DVOA. And I don't know, I just I love the matchup. And like we talked about earlier, Foles 
I think maybe gets a bad rap for considering considering how bad the teams that he was on were previous to this season. The Giants have allowed top 20 finishes in all but two games this season and top 10 weeks seven different times, uh, which is tied for the most in the NFL with Houston, the Jets, and Washington, as I just mentioned, uh, with Semyon. They've allowed 13 or more fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks in every game but one. I don't think Foles is a special player, but this is an especially good matchup, and I think you can use him there. You know, you know, Foles went from having Greg Robinson as his left tackle to now having the best offensive line in football. I mean, you remember Kurt Warner back in the day when he was at the Rams. He had so much time sitting back there in the pocket behind Orlando Pace, and he just picked teams apart, right? And then he goes to the Giants, and he can do absolutely nothing behind a bad offensive line. Just think about the opposite happening to Foles. I mean, he was a a less-than-mediocre quarterback, like what, 25th best quarterback in the league when he started? Now he's going to a great offensive line. I think this is cake, man. I think he could be a top 15 quarterback this week. Yeah, I I could see it, and I'll probably have him ranked as such, but there are some other good matchups here for other QBs I wanted to talk about. Just touch on, you know, some honorable mentions, if you will. And the first is is your boy Blake Bortles, your Jag zone uh, against the Houston Texans. The Texans have allowed almost 19 points per game, 18.77, uh, average weekly finish of QB 13.1. But they have a better uh, ranking in past defense DVOA. They rank number f- 15 there. I don't know, I, but th- this is just a fantasy matchup that's good, right? We've seen that week in, week out. Before week 14, all of the top 20 weeks uh, allowed by the Texans were also top 10 weeks, uh, so there was no middle ground. Either the Houston defense allowed a top 10 finish or they held the QB outside the top 20 entirely. Garoppolo broke that trend last week, but it was fun while it lasted. Regardless, there's a lot of upside in playing quarterbacks in this matchup, and I think if the Jags know what's good for them, they're going to keep applying pressure to the Texans through the air. Since J.J. Watt got injured in Week 5, Houston has allowed 15 or more fantasy points to all but two of the quarterbacks they've faced, and the QBs who failed to do it were Kevin Hogan and Joe Flacco, two guys that we know just aren't very good. And Bortles, meanwhile, has hit 15, or he's actually hit 16 or more fantasy points in six of his seven past games, and has a current streak of three straight top 10 finishes. What do you think about Bortles this week? Would you start him ahead of Semien or ahead of Foles? Oh, yeah, yeah, and it's really not even close. I've I've got Blake Bortles number 13 this week, and don't say it's because I'm Homer. Bortles <laughs> is not my boy. I, I wished when the Colts let go of Stephen Morris, I'm telling you, I was really hoping the Jags would pick up Stephen Morris and make him the quarterback by week four or five because that's how much I dislike Blake Bortles, but he keeps getting it done. I mean, he's going to finish the season as a top 13 fantasy quarterback for the third straight year. I mean, you talked about his past games, what he's been doing, and, you know, a lot of this is fueled by teams stacking the boxes against Leonard Fournette and slowing him down. And I don't know if the Texans need to do that because they stopped the run so well as it is. Um, but, you know, Bortles keeps getting it done. You can expect him to get another 15, 16 fantasy points this week. And with a good matchup, there's a good chance that he gets over 20 as well. So, yeah, I've got Blake Bortles as an absolute must start. And in standard one quarterback leagues, uh, he's a decent streamer. Yep, knocking on the door, startability there in one QB leagues. And the last thing I want to note here for his matchup, and I, and I mentioned some rushing stats earlier uh, for, um, who were we talking about before? We were talking about Mariota against San Francisco. Uh, the Texans have actually allowed the seventh most rushing yards to opposing quarterbacks, including 30 or more rushing yards to the position four different times. And you extrapolate that out. I mean, that's almost a touchdown per game. Uh, you know, to those guys, it's not quite a touchdown per game, but you know, these guys who have rushing upside could potentially be getting a little extra production in that way. And that matters in fantasy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. 
Yeah, a couple other guys, just quick honorable mentions. We don't have to go into any of these guys, but we mentioned Joe Flacco at Cleveland. That's a nice matchup. Jimmy Garoppolo against Tennessee is an interesting one. Tennessee's defense has been coming on. Like you said, they've been getting a lot of pressure on opposing QBs, but it does seem that like good quarterbacks and good offensive schemes seem to give the Titans problems. And I think that Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan's offense fits the bill there. Are you optimistic about Garoppolo in Week 15 against Tennessee? No, no, not really. Ooh, I've got Garoppolo around number 18, number 19 for, uh, you know, Tennessee is there. They've been pretty bad against the past this year, but they've been getting so much pressure on quarterbacks. And, you know, Jimmy G has looked pretty good. Kyle Shanahan is, uh, you know, making him look nice, even though he's just now learning the playbook and everything. But you look at his weapons. He is nothing. They're going to stop the run because that's what Tennessee does. So Garoppolo is going to have to throw into nickel and dime coverages late in the game. I think he's really going to have a lot of trouble. Yeah, that point you make about the Titans pass rush is, is really good. And it's not like the Niners have a good you know pass blocking scheme. Uh, they rank 23rd in adjusted sack rate, according to Football Outsiders. And so, yeah, I could see that. I mean, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is just going to be running for his life. So a uh, good point there. Let's let's keep an eye on that in this matchup and. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm a little too optimistic on him. Uh, so does, I mean that doesn't necessarily make him your clipboard holder of the week. But if you're looking for a quarterback who normally you would start and are avoiding this week, who's that guy for you, Bobby? Who's the the quarterback who, you, who you're worried most about? Um, kind of delivering on expectations in Week 15. You know, over the last month, I've had no problem starting Deshaun Kaiser. Hyped him up as a uh, as a top 12 quarterback last week. I really believed in the matchup, but please. Please do not be the person that starts to Sean Kaiser this week against the Ravens. I know he has Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman now. I know he's got three straight solid outings. I know he has a floor with his running game. I know Jimmy Smith is out, but he's got four weeks already with six or fewer fantasy points. And one of them's against this Ravens defense who stops the run. gets after the quarterback and is going to eat Kaiser alive when he's trying to come back late in the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably won't want to use Kaiser this week either, but I think a lot of those stats you threw out, like in terms of how few fantasy points he scored, were because the Browns were jerking him around early in the season, right? Like he would only get to play you know, a true. half or, or a half and a little bit more before they would yank him for Kevin Hogan or Cody Kessler or whatever. Um, but but you're right. I mean, that's just not a, a good play this week whatsoever. Like the Baltimore defense, say what you will about losing Jimmy Smith, but they should be good enough to contain a rookie quarterback who – to be fair, was benched by Hugh Jackson in those games for a reason. He hasn't been that good. And you're right, the the receivers coming in helps, but I'm with you. I think he's probably a little overrated based upon uh, you know recent performance. The guy for me is going to be Alex Smith against the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers only allow about 12.5 points per game to quarterbacks. The average weekly finish against them is QB 18.8. They rank 7th in pass defense DVOA. I think this is kind of an easy or obvious pick just because the Chargers defense has been so good. And Alex Smith is is likely just a little overrated based upon what he's done to date versus who he really is. Uh, the Chargers just limited Kirk Cousins to his second worst performance of the season. His previous worst week was in Week Nine on the road at Seattle, and that was before the Seahawks defense was disintegrated by injuries. So y- you can kind of tell that in terms of bad matchups, you know, if if this Chargers team is is the equivalent of you know say a, a Seahawks for the former Seahawks defense that we were all you know, really afraid of in terms of starting quarterbacks. I, I don't know if I want to use Alex Smith this week against them. Uh, where does he fall in your rankings? Is he a guy that you're willing to start? Yeah, Alex Smith is a start for me. I've got him at number 18 this week. Um, and so, you know, he's closer than he usually would be. I love this Chargers defense, by the way. Um, I'm really happy that they're in the playoff mix, and I think it's it's 
they're going to make the playoffs at this point with the kind of football they're playing. I would even go as far as saying besides the Steelers, they have the best shot of anyone to knock off the Patriots and go to the Super Bowl. They're just hot lately, and this defense is a big reason why. I mean, they've got the best cornerback in football. They've got two of the best three or four pass rushers in football, and they're going to get after it. But I would still start Alex Smith just because all it takes is, you know, one short dump to Kareem Hunt or Tyree Kill, and, and they take it to the house. Um, and, you know, Alex Smith is, is more than serviceable. Also get 30, 40 rushing yards per game. So I like Alex Smith. I think I would start him even against the Jags. What do you think about Derek Carr? Because I, I was tweeting about this on Sunday based upon how he was performing in that matchup against the Chiefs. And I've, I've always thought he was overrated, especially like entering this season after that big contract he got. I was one of the, the many or, or few. I don't know how many of us there were, but I was one of the Derek Carr detractors in draft season. What if he's just bad? I mean, Dallas isn't a particularly tough matchup, but I'm still kind of afraid of using Carr against them after all the duds he's dropped on us this season. I think the Cowboys matchup is, is interesting. They've been good at limiting passing yards. They only allow, they've only allowed more than 263 yards twice this season, and that was to Carson Palmer and Phillip Rivers. What's really ruined Dallas has been passing touchdowns. They've allowed two or more pass TDs in 13, uh, or in their 13 games, they've allowed two or more pass TDs in all but four games. Like Trevor Simeon had four against them. Aaron Rodgers had three. Rivers had three to go with 434 passing yards. Like They've been prone to some big blow-up weeks and a lot of passing touchdowns, but generally they've been fairly good at limiting you know, yardage production in the passing game. So I don't know. Like I'm not sure what to do with Carr in this matchup. What, what do you think about this one? I'm not too worried about Derek Carr. I mean, he's actually been fairly efficient lately. He's got uh, eight or more yards per attempt in three of his last four games. Uh, you look at what he's done in terms of fantasy points, 30, 14.5, 14.7, 14.4, 15.8, 15.3, 12.4. So, I mean, the floor is a lot higher than it is for a lot of other quarterbacks because he's thrown so many passes, 52, 49, 49, 36, 41. The Raiders are going to keep throwing a lot of passes with him. His touchdown rate is has got to come up. He's due for some serious positive regression. Um, so I think Derek Carr is, is a solid start against Dallas. Yep, Carr only has multiple passing touchdowns in four of his 12 games, and, and that does seem like something that's got to correct itself. But some of it is tied to the Amari Cooper injury. Now, one other angle I like in this game is looking at Jared Cook with Amari Cooper likely going back on the shelf. Um, I could see Cook maybe having a really nice game here after he bounced back against Kansas City in Week 14. Uh, but in terms of Carr, I don't know. I, I could see benching him in favor of some of the week's better streaming options, especially because I, I think we might see a game where both Dallas and Oakland look to control the game. Uh, both teams rank bottom 10 in situation-neutral pace, according to Football Outsiders. So this is something where both these teams generally like to establish the run, and that might just limit opportunities for both Carr and Dak Prescott. But But we'll see. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, anything else you got on week 15? The only other thing I wanted to kind of pick your brain about was this potential return of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's if, if he comes back, he's facing a pretty tough matchup in Carolina. Is he someone who you would just start regardless? Like if they say he's starting, you plug him in into your lineup? If they say he's starting, even in this matchup against Carolina, he's my number one quarterback this week. I, I have no problem. You look at what Aaron Rodgers has done coming back from injuries. He's done it twice. And he was dominant in both starts. Apparently, he's looked phenomenal at practice. He's still got the nice receivers. I think uh, Devontae Adams is as a top 20 pick next year. I think Jordy Nelson will be revived with Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, they've got the great running game now with Jamal Williams. So, yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterback of all time, is definitely startable in every single week. And I would even say he's the number one quarterback. 
Fair enough. Um, you got anything else on week 15? Maybe some sneaky starts for people in the fantasy playoffs or some guys who you like in DFS, anything along those lines? I love Blaine Gabbard. I, I like Blaine Gabbard a lot. Um, you know, in the preseason, I was watching him play. He, he wasn't worthy of starting over Carson Palmer, but I thought this is a legitimate starting quarterback in, in the fantasy football, not in the fantasy football world, I'm sorry, in the in the NFL. He deserves to be starting for some team, and if Carson Palmer retires, I'd like to see Arizona move forward with him because I think they've got something solid with him. I mean, everyone knew he was a project when he was drafted, right? And it's no surprise that he wasn't very good from the start. He should have been – they should go back to you know guys sitting on the bench for four years like Jimmy G and then becoming a starting quarterback. That's what Blaine Gabbert needed. He didn't get it. Finally, he's got to sit on the uh, sit on the bench a little bit and improve, and he's improved a lot. So I think Blaine Gabbard is a start virtually every week, and especially against Washington. And then I'll say for DFS that Nick Foles, I'm going to get a ton of exposure to him. I mean, he's so cheap. He's going up against the Giants. He's got all these weapons. I think he's underrated. So I'm playing Nick Foles in cash games and GPP. So you, you mentioned his weapons. Who are you looking to stack him with the most? Like, wh- which receiver do you think benefits the most from Nick Foles? Uh, well, I'm not so sure if it's who benefits the most from Nick Foles, but it's who benefits the most in this uh, matchup. It's Zach Ertz, right? It's against the Giants. If Ertz doesn't play, yeah, I'll play, I'll play Trey Burton again for super cheap. But if not, I'm definitely spending up on Ertz. I don't know if you've seen the DFS landscape this week at tight end, but with there being it's two Saturday games, ugly. it is really ugly. It is ugly. So, yeah, Zach Ertz or, or Trey Burton all the way. Yeah, I was trying to figure out – I was trying to set some lineups earlier today, and tight end was a just – it was a hellscape. Like, there, there was just nobody I wanted to put into my lineup for, for their cost. I, I mean, especially because, like, we don't know how Gronkowski is going to be coming back from suspension. We assume he's going to be fine. That might just be the play. It's just pay it for the elite guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I also wouldn't be opposed to – I did this last week with the Chargers. I just thought the matchup was so good. They were the second highest in uh, in implied point total. We knew they were going to get the points either way. So I had Rivers, I had Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, and Melvin Gordon. I know I'm getting touchdowns from some of them. Now it turns out that I got touchdowns from all of them except Allen, who of course had you know 11 receptions and 100 yards again. But I wouldn't be opposed to doing the same thing against the Eagles for pretty cheap. I think Ajayi is getting more and more work every single week. He's clearly the best running back in this backfield. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets 17, 18 carries now that they've got you know, foals, and they're going to be relying on the run more. So I'm going to, plenty I'm playing at this point. Jay Ajayi, Nick Foles, and Zach Ertz. Great stuff, man. Well, hey, thanks, Bobby, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Listeners, if you want to follow him on Twitter, you can find him at BobbyFantasyPro. And be sure to check out his podcast at Fantasy Pros with Mike Tagliere. Um, Bobby, is there anything else you want to plug, any articles you've been working on, stuff like that, uh, that the listeners can check out? You know, I'm also into uh, to baseball writing. I would say uh, baseball is right up there with football. And I have this article that's going to be coming out later this week. If you're one of these weird baseball nuts uh, that loves prospects, I've got 400 worldwide prospects. I've got my article coming out for that one, and it's a big one I've been working on for about a month. So if you all don't mind checking that out, if you are a baseball fan, if you're not, of course, I don't expect you to. But, uh, Greg, I appreciate you giving me the plug, and thank you for having me on the show. Hey, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. We'll have to have you on again soon. Um, I appreciate your time. And, and listeners, if you want to send any questions into the show or just, you know, communicate with us in general, uh, we're at 2QBs on Twitter. Uh, for longer form inquiries, you can send those to 2QBs at gmail.com. Although, man, now that we have 280 characters, I don't even know if we need email anymore, right? Um, if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing the podcast. <laughs> it's so annoying. Oh, man. Like, I do appreciate being able to go oh, longer when I... No, no, let's talk about this because I do appreciate being able to go longer, but... 
I also appreciated the challenge of composing a 140 character tweet. You know, that was there was an art form to that, wasn't there? Yeah, and you know what? I think I, I've been impressed that most people are trying to stick to that 140. I know I, I definitely am. Like, it's been cool. There's been three times where I needed to go over it when I was making a point. And, uh, you know, if you only do it every once in a while, I don't think people mind so much. Now, if you're going to be annoying, I'm going to block you right away, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, I just hope when all these kids populate Twitter um, that they don't just say, hey, 280, I need to do that every single time because I think the adults are actually handling it pretty much the right way. All right. So all you listeners, you've been warned. Take care to, you know, mind your, mind your Twitter accounts here and do it the right way. Do it, do it the Bobby Sylvester way. Uh, <laughs> thanks again to Bobby. Thanks again to you all for listening. Like I said, if you want to hit us up, 2QBs on Twitter, 2QBs at gmail.com. Spell it out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, rate and review the podcast if you will. I would appreciate that. And otherwise, good luck in week 15. We'll catch you next week here on the 2QB Experience. Adios. Adios.